Uh, go ahead and open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse 4 today. And uh, we launched this series just a couple of weeks ago, and we're calling it Church on Fire. Church on Fire. And, and here's why. If you remember a couple weeks ago, if you missed that, I'm going to catch you up to speed really quick, all right? Um, we saw that the Apostle Paul, along with Silas and Timothy, they brought the message of Jesus into the city known as Thessalonica, and they shared the word of God and the fire of God's word that was accompanied, as we're going to see today, with the fire of God's spirit. And it lit some people up to say, God really loves me, and I have to follow Jesus with everything I've got. And Paul then learned that as he moved on and he was run out of town under persecution, that he sent Timothy back to check on how the Thessalonians were doing, and he got the news that their hearts were still burning for Jesus and the things of God. So that's why we're calling this series Church on Fire. And as we move into verses 4 and 5, we see that Paul is continuing this word of gratitude, this prayer of gratitude to God for his work in these people in Thessalonica. And I believe, listen, I believe we are going to encounter three of the most powerful words in the Bible as we come to these verses today. I believe these three words have the power to captivate, fortify, and transform our souls into the people God envisions. And so you can try to guess which three they are as I read them for us. I'm actually going to back up to verse one and start there. This is what uh, Paul writes. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction. We're going to stop right there. Did you, did you catch the three powerful words that I am referring to? What are three of the most powerful words in the Bible? They are these. Loved by God. Loved by God. If you, if you don't have that yet underlined or highlighted or circled, okay, um, you need to underline it and highlight it and circle it or double underline. Because, listen, we are loved by God. I've come to share the news this morning that God offers us his gracious love through Jesus. God offers his grace. He offers you. He offers us his gracious love 
through Jesus. But if there's one thing that I've come to experience, and I know this is your story as well, is that we all live on the spectrum of, on the one end, living in the love of God, or on the other end, doubting that God really loves us. On the one end, you have those that, that are living in his love moment by moment, day by day. They are, it is as if they are basking in the rays of God's love. They're just swimming around in the oceanic depths of the love of God. They, they, they constantly have 1 John 3, 1 playing in their minds. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. They, they think like Brennan Manning when he wrote in his excellent book, Ragamuffin Gospel. They're, they're thinking like he th thought and wrote when he said, I could more easily contain, check out this picture, Niagara Falls in a teacup than I can comprehend the wild and uncontainable love of God. That's one end of the spectrum, but there's another end of the spectrum. It's when we doubt that God really loves us. Sometimes this happens because we look in the mirror and we see how messed up our lives are, not just because of the things around us, but what is inside of us. And we say, God, how could you possibly love someone like me? And at times it's because of the cruelties of our world. Listen, we, we understand we live in a very cruel world. We have a very cruel enemy that seeks to take our minds away and distract us and discourage us and doubt that God really loves us. The, the, the verse that maybe they come back to again and again when, when doubting God's love is the lament of Psalm 13 verse 1 that says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have such sorrow in my heart? And so listen, I don't know where you are on the spectrum of living in God's love or doubting God's love. You're probably somewhere in between the, the ends of the extremes. But, but I want to ask one of life's most important questions this morning that's going to help you wherever you are. I believe it's going to help you move closer and closer into living in the love of God. And that question is this, how can we know God loves us? Do you ever ask this question? How can, how can I know? How can we know God really, really loves us? And Paul's going to show us three things by the way, not a comprehensive list. Keep reading the rest of the Bible. We're just talking about two, like a verse and a half right here, right? But, but I'm going to give you three, three uh, ways we can know God loves us from this, this verse and a half, all right? Number one, we see that Paul knew God loved these people because of his extravagant grace. His extravagant grace. What is grace? We hear his word in church a lot. Okay, grace is receiving that 
which we do not deserve. Some people describe it as unmerited favor. In other words, God is being so kind to us even though we did nothing to deserve it or earn it. Grace is a gift. And and we see here that in the scheme of God's gracious work, it really doesn't get, I don't think, any higher than what Paul is describing here when he says in verse 4, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, here it is, that he has chosen you. And here's why I say it doesn't get any higher. I want you to think deeply about this this morning, okay? God chose you. God elected you to belong to him. And here's the mind-blowing truth that puts the extravagance into extravagant grace, okay? He chose you before you were you. Before you took one single breath. He set his love on you in Christ, if you are in Christ this morning. You say, well, Tanner, that sounds really nice, but prove it to me from Scripture. I will be happy to. Ephesians chapter 1 makes this abundantly clear. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every... Jonah's talking about identity. This is our identity. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Verse 4, even as, here it is, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption through our Lord Jesus Christ, to be holy and blameless before him. So, so, so just, again, step back and try to wrap your mind and heart around this this morning, okay? Before God created the world, before there was time, if you are in Christ, listen, before, I love this, before you, before I, before we had sh- showed God how unlovable and undeserving we are of his love, he loved us. And he chose us to belong to him. He said, I want them to know and experience and live in my love. Now listen, uh, I've studied the Bible long enough, have enough conversations, I've asked all the questions myself uh, long enough to know that there is a lot of mystery as we think about God choosing us in Christ to belong to his family. But I I wanna give you five reasons why this is so important. I'm gonna do it pretty quick. So if you're taking notes, Please keep up, right? Number one, listen. Number one, God set his love on us because if he did not choose us, we would have never chosen him. Romans chapter three, verses 10 and 11 says this. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. And so if God did not choose us and find us, we would have never found him because we weren't even looking for him in the first place. You see that? So we needed God to set his love on us, to, to, to choose us, to bring us into his family. Number two, this, this truth takes us deeper in to the knowledge of his love. And his love is so, so different than our love. 
You see, we love based on, so often, if we're being honest, right, we love based on what? We love based on conditions. If you don't hurt me, if you love me in return, I'll love you. Which shows us that we are actually really consumeristic when it comes to love, right? Because we're thinking about what's in it for us. And so we, we think things like, oh, I'm going to love them because their love will satisfy me, make my life easier, fill in the gaps of loneliness that I experience. And God's saying, hold up. This, is, this may be how you love, but it's not how I love. My love is unconditional. My love is selfless. In fact, uh, the, the, the idea of love being conditional or selfish, there, there's, there's, there's no such thing as a conditional love or a, or a selfish love. They are, contradiction, they are contradiction in terms. Because love gives, love sacrifices for the benefit of someone else. Just go read Philippians 2 about the love of Christ. God spoke of this in the, the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, in verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Listen to this. He, he says to the people of Israel, he's talking about how he loved them when, when there was really nothing super lovely about them. Listen, he says this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Can you believe it? A treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Listen, it was not because you were so big, more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What's the point here? The point is Israel did nothing, did nothing to deserve God's love. There wasn't anything super special about them, but God simply loved them and made him his, them his treasured possession. But then number three, related to this, that, that God's love is so different and to take us deeper into a knowledge of what God's love is really like is this, is that this love, this grace of God is countercultural and it tells a more beautiful story. We live, you know this, we live in a culture of acceptance through accomplishment, Right? Acceptance through accomplishment. You, you hit your sales quota. People at the office love you. Your, your manager, your supervisor loves you if you perform really well. But this is not the love of God. And deep down, we feel this too, even in our personal relationships. We're not sure if people will love us unless we are smart enough, beautiful enough, work hard enough, and do enough good things. And this, by the way, is, is every other world religion. 
This was even true in the city of Thessalonica. You see, the, 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 the people in the city uh, who weren't following Jesus had all of these different gods, and th- their gods did nothing to initiate love to them, but they felt like they had to go bow down before idols so that maybe their gods would send some rain, you know, or they had to say enough great things about their god, and maybe their gods would make their lives a little better. But this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus gives us that which we do not deserve because he took what he did not deserve. Amen? This is the message of the cross. Jesus took our sin and death, what we deserve. He took it upon himself, and now he has given us life and righteousness, that which we did not deserve. And guess what? We did nothing to earn it. That's why it's called grace. Number four, God's choice of us now brings us into a new family. Paul here says, for we know brothers and sisters, the Greek word adelphoi is... uh, refers to siblings and a family, and he uses it 19 times here in this short little five-chapter book. And so God's choice of us was a choice to bring us into a new family, God's family, and can you believe it? God says to every single one of us here today, you are welcomed at my table. There is a seat with your name on it. I want you to belong to my family. And not only this, God's choosing of us in his extravagant grace is designed to bring us comfort. We ask the question, Paul, why would you highlight the love of God and God choosing us and bringing us into his family and making this, this, all of these things? Why would you, why would you highlight right here? Well, what have we seen that's going on in Thessalonica? Paul, Silas, they just got ran out of town. Persecution they're experiencing. Paul talks about later, affliction, suffering. And Paul's saying, look, the people in Thessalonica, they may, may discard you. They may even seek to persecute you and take your life. But I, I haven't rejected you. I have chosen you. I have loved you. You belong to me. So I want to ask you this morning, have you experienced the extravagant grace of God? Have you received his love? And does his love still cause your heart to skip a couple beats from time to time? This is what Paul is seeking to help them see God loves them. He, they can know that because he has showered his extravagant grace on them. But then number two, this is, we would almost miss it if we read too quickly. Um, he, he says, here's a second piece of evidence. We can know God loves us because God has sent us loving people. God has sent us loving people. Look at the beginning of verse five. What does he say? Because, this is how we know God has chosen you, because our gospel came to you. Not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So so what Paul is saying here is that God loved you so much. Think, Think about this. God loved you so much that he woke me up 
by blinding me, actually, on a road outside of Jerusalem. And now he has sent me ultimately 1,500 miles to Thessalonica because he loves you. See that? I mean, this is, this is how they came to know the, the God of love sends the message of love to people who accept his love, are filled with his love, and then he sends those people out filled with his love to carry his message of love to other people so they can experience and know and be filled with his love. You follow me? And so listen, it doesn't matter, listen, it doesn't matter if you are carrying the love of God, the message of Christ, 15 feet across the office, or if you are traveling thousands of miles. Every expression is an expression of the love of God. I love how God loves his people through people. This is, what, this is what's happening here in Thessalonica. Paul is drawing their attention to how God has loved them because he sent Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to share his love. Paul calls the gospel our gospel in verse 5. The gospel belongs to us. It is ours to experience and to share together. But, but other times Paul will refer to the gospel as my gospel, as he does in Romans chapter 2 and chapter 16 and 2 Timothy chapter 2. Why? Because not only is it our gospel, but ultimately it is a very personal and intimate message that is for us also individually. But then at times, as we'll see in 1 Thessalonians, that he refers to the gospel as the gospel of God, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, or the gospel of Christ, chapter 3, verse 2. And the, the word gospel has roots in the Old Testament. If we go back to the book of Isaiah and we start in chapter 40, we're going to see how uh, God speaks to Isaiah through Isaiah. And he says that I will send a herald to lift up their voice to tell the good news to my people, chapter 40, verse 9. And then he'll speak of the beautiful feet. We're talking about being a church on the move, loving people in the name of Christ this year. And he says that those who have beautiful feet and move out with the gospel are those who bring the good news. And he'll say in chapter 61 of the coming Messiah, Jesus himself, that God has anointed him to proclaim liberty to the captives and to preach good news to the poor. Our God loves us and he shows his love by sending loving people to carry his love and his message to us. I want to encourage you, just think about your own life. I have a sneaky suspicion that you have story after story after story of people who God sent to you to bring you the message of his love. You say, well, Pastor Tanner, uh, this is all new to me, and I just showed up today, and, well, he sent the people known as Redemption Hill to you to carry his message of love. Our pastors, every other Thursday, we uh, pray together, 6 a.m. Zoom, and uh, Pastor Steve in Springfield, one of our former pastors who planting uh, house churches there in, in the Springfield area, he joins us as well. And uh, Pastor Reddy this week led us to meditate on these words from Paul's prayer, and he said, who was it in your life 
that just comes to mind that you, like, like Paul, are grateful for what God did in them that, that brought you the gospel and showed you God's love. And one by one, we started naming names. I talked about Alan Chamis, my first student pastor, who taught me to love the Bible and showed me what God's love looks like with a warmth and a sincerity that I have found in few other people my 42 years. Pastor John talked about uh, Mitch, Mitch Williams, who taught his Sunday school class for six consecutive years. So it's like a, a teacher who taught and then just moved up and again and again just to be with these students. And, and you know, guess what? I don't know, I don't know Mitch's story, but I have a, a feeling, I would assume, he probably didn't go to seminary and learn how to read Hebrew and Greek, okay? He was a local plumber who showed up every week and taught kids the Bible. Now, 30 years later, Pastor John is saying, here's a man who made a difference in my life. Pastor Reddy talked about a pastor in Winchester who invited Teresa and him into a small group where they walked with them for a couple of years. And now, of course, you know that that experience marked the kind of hospitality and love that we see in the Reddys every single week at Redemption Hill. What about, what about Pastor Steve? He said after he came to Christ as a middle schooler, there was a senior in high school named Nayi Adisa who spent time with him every single day after school to study the Bible and pray with him and help him learn to follow Jesus. God sends loving people with his love to express his love for us. This is another reason how we can, why we can know that God loves us. And then number three, I want to show you this. Number three, we can know God loves us because he has sent us his life-changing news. Paul says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. The good news, this, this news of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection. This is news that must be communicated, okay? It must be shared verbally with people that we love and care about. Our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. We need to open up our mouths eventually and share this message with them. It's captured for us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, here it is, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us our sins. This is the message that we have to share, that there is a God who loves us even in spite of us. When we weren't loving him, he came looking for us and loving us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sin and our place that we might be brought back into a relationship with God. And yet, listen, 
It's not enough for us just to share the message of the gospel and communicate these words about Jesus, but something supernatural has to happen as we're sharing the word, that God has to accompany our words with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in the hearts and minds of people as they hear the words. F.F. Bruce talks about the convincing power of the Holy Spirit. These three terms, with pow, in, the, in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, they're all describing the same work of God as people hear the word and say, this is true, this is for me. N.T. Wright reflects on these verses by saying this, listen carefully. The Thessalonians had to cross a double barrier to accept the gospel. It was not only a crazy message about a man who was dead and then came to life again. It was a crazy Jewish message. Paul must have known as he went from place to place that most people who heard what he was talking about were bound to think him mad. Do you ever feel this way with your coworkers? But then listen to what he says. And yet these people did not. Some in Thessalonica, as in most places he went, found that something happened to them when they listened to his message. A strange power gripped them. The power that Paul would tell them was the Holy Spirit at work. They would suddenly understand what he was saying. It would grasp their hearts and minds. Paul and his companions explaining the gospel to them would become excited as they saw the message take hold, make sense, and begin its work of transforming hearts and lives. And lest we get it twisted this morning, let me remind you what I love to tell you here at Redemption Hill Church, okay? This is not... This is not just for wild, zealous, crazy preachers like Pastor Tanner that love to take 40 minutes on a Sunday morning and preach the gospel to you. Amen? Amen. Somebody say, this is for me. This is for you, fam. This is, it doesn't matter if we're talking about a coffee shop conversation, a FaceTime with your friend, sending a couple text messages, walking through the woods, whatever, wherever. This is for anyone, anytime, Anywhere, if you know Jesus, listen, if you know Jesus, if you have received this message, this message is inside of you. It's beating in your chest, it's running through your veins and now we get to move out with beautiful feet and just love people and listen to them and hang out with them and serve them and share this. You saw what I did right there, right? Bless, we, we bless some people. We begin with prayer and listening and eating, serving and sharing. We, just, we get to do this every single day as an opportunity to love people. This is, this is how it works. Listen, God's Holy Spirit, please listen, God's Holy Spirit must open people's minds and convince their hearts by saying something like this. As we're sharing the message of, of Jesus with them, the Holy Spirit is sharing another message. This matters. This is more relevant than your next breath. These things are true. This provides the, the best explanation for what's wrong with our world and how it can be made right. The Holy Spirit is telling them, this is the answer you've been looking for. This is the hope that you didn't know you were missing. Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. Jesus Christ, the perfect picture of the wild and uncontainable love of God. 
This is what we take with us. Wherever we go, wherever, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, hanging out, wherever we, the park, the, the grocery store, wherever. People are hurting. People are suffering. People don't yet understand and know and have experienced the love of God in Christ. And as you go, listen, what, what Paul is describing here, what he's saying is that it's not our words that have power, but it is the word of the gospel, the truth of the gospel that holds inherent power. Just go back and read Mark chapter four and the parables there or hear Paul say in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Write down if you're taking notes, Isaiah Chapter 55, verses 10 and 11, it says this, for as the rain and snow come down, don't you love how God gives us pictures to understand the divine and supernatural reality? As the rain and snow come down, thank you, Jesus, that we haven't had that much snow in New England this winter. All right, uh, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, anyone see snow go back up? Doesn't happen. Okay, they don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's what God is doing. That's what God is doing right now. That's what God's going to do on Tuesday when you share a word of hope with a friend. His word doesn't come back. It's accomplishing God's purposes in the hearts of people. And so as we think about this question, how can we know? How can we know that God loves us? Paul says we can know because we see his extravagant grace. He has chosen you. We can see that he sent us loving people. Our gospel came to you. We can see that this message was a life-changing message of the news of Jesus that is continuing to change us day after day after day. Most of you don't know, I, I connect with a counselor about every other month. And, and primarily it's proactive just to, just to stay healthy and fresh. But obviously I'm, I'm a human like you are, right? I'm going through hard things and I need to process with, with wise people. And so I connect with a counselor's name is Chip Judd. And Chip's favorite question to ask people is this. What does God want most from you? I want you to think about that. What does God want most from you. And, and I, I venture to guess if we were to, you know, toss around answers around this room today, we, we would hear responses like, God wants me to glorify him. Amen? God wants me, what, what God wants most from me is to love him and other people, right? Or maybe God wants, maybe God would say, someone would say, God wants me to Make a difference in this world. God wants me to live on mission for him. And all these are good and beautiful things. But this is not what God, these things are not what God wants most from us. Chip would say this, and I can't disagree. What God wants most from you, 
is to let him love you. What God wants most from you is to let him love you. It is his love that transforms us. It is his love that fortifies us and secures us. It is his love that gives us confidence and assurance to love him and love other people in return. First John 14, 19 says that we love because he first loved us. Let him love you. Let him love you. Let God pour his gracious love over you every single day. That's the one, one encouragement I would give out of all of these words. Let God pour his gracious love over you every single day. A little more than a week ago, there were some students in Wilmore, Kentucky, at Asbury University who were at a Wednesday morning chapel service. And the, the, the pastor got a minister, whoever he was, chaplain, uh, looked about as suave as me, you know, preached about, uh, he preached better, what did he say he preached better than me? I mean, he's just like, what I'm trying to say is there was nothing like crazy or special about who this person was, all right? It's just an ordinary guy like your pastor, one of your pastors. And he preached about the love of God. And how God calls us to love with his love, with sincerity and putting others before ourselves. And, and then at the end of his, his message, probably 25 minutes long, I listened to it this past week. He just said something to the effect of, listen, if, if you want to learn more about the love of God, just stick around. And some students did. And they continued to pray and others were leading worship and a couple of hours go by and then more students come and more students come back to the chapel and then all of a sudden 11 days have passed and people have not left that chapel. It's amazing, amazing, wild. And they have been learning about the love of God that's, by the way, that's what happens when we are in his presence. We learn more about his love. We experience more of his love. I, I checked in with one of our members this past week who has been really going through it, really going through it. And I just was like, I just did what you would do. I just, how are you doing? This is what she sent back. I've been carving out more time to spend with God. I've recently struggled and feel, do you ever feel this way? And feel I've grown more distant from God instead of, listen, instead of experiencing the closeness we both crave. the closeness we both crave. She gets it. She gets it. This isn't a one-sided craving. It's not just us reaching out for God, hoping that he would love us. No, our God craves closeness with us. He wants it with you. He wants it with us. 
And so I hope, listen, I hope you will learn. I hope that you will learn. You will lean in to times like this in worship and we, we get together in groups and when we show up for fire nights and times of prayer through the week and study, listen, that these are all opportunities to let God love us. How do we let God love us? Just, just sit with him. Sit with him fully attentive. Be still and let God love you. And then we remember. What do we, what do we remember? We remember his heart and his work. This is who you are, God. You, you love me when I wasn't even looking for you. You're kind. We sing about you're faithful. You keep showing up as sure as the rising and setting sun. You keep showing up. You're this kind of God. And you're the kind of God that loves me so much that you would send your one and only son into the world to die on the cross for my sin. This is who you are. And then we practice the rhythms of grace and listening and, and, and opening the Bible. And this is, a, this is, by the way, every word, these are not words on a page. These are words of love from the Father's heart to your heart. That's what, that's what it is when we, when, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not trying to get a word count in. I'm trying to let God love me. I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping. And this is what God invites us into. And so I want to encourage you today, listen, just to, as we bring our time to a close, we continue in worship. Would you let God love you right now? Let God love you right now. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes so you can focus in on the Father's love. I want to pray over you, and then in just a moment, we're going to have a prayer team down ready to pray with you, for you. Hear God say to you this morning, you are precious and honored in my sight. I saved you because I am rich in mercy and my love is great for you. Nothing, nothing, nothing will ever separate you from my love. I take great delight in you. I know it's hard for you to believe right now, but I even sing songs over you. Like a mother, her newborn child. I call you my beloved son and my beloved daughter. And you bring me great joy. And if you're there sitting before God right now and you question if these things are true, listen, these words are straight from the Bible. God has told us these things and 1,000 others. And so God, we ask, Lord, we ask right now that we would believe in a greater way that you crave closeness with us. And that what you want most from us is not for us to try harder or love better as important as our effort and our love is back to you. First and foremost, you want us to let you love us. And so God, teach us, Lord, teach us, teach us how to let you love us. We pray in the name of Christ.
Amen. What we're going to do is this. We're going to sing.